Canby New Life Foursquare Church welcomes you. We're located at 2350 Southeast Territorial Road, just off Highway 99E. We hope the following message will be a blessing to you. Telling on myself, getting it out of the way because things can get out on Facebook quickly and Twitter and pictures and all kinds of things. But I uh, sold my former car and uh, the current car that I have, it's new to me, is a 1991 Cadillac, and uh, so it's a, it's a, yeah it's a sweet ride you know and and um, <laughs> I I, um, I purchased it from the estate of my daughter-in-law's grandmother, and so we've had to go through a lot of things to get you know the title and to get proof of insurance and get. Yeah, you know, get get bill of sale, all those kinds of things. And so in the process of doing this, the first few days, I was trying to collect everything, make sure I got everything. It took some time because a lot of it was coming from the East Coast and permission and signing off and the executors and all that kind of thing. And so, so I had all of it together, most of it together at least. And I was coming across the highway here to come to church last week. And a police officer pulled in behind me. And I saw him look down at the tags, which were expired. And uh, he just chose to turn his lights on me all the way down the street right here. And I pulled in the driveway. And uh, it just happened to be when the women were getting out of the Bible study. And, <laughs> and Canby Bible College was dismissing. And for all these times, we stay indoors when it rains. We have to come outside on this one moment. And... Uh, so I got out and I had my little package together. I showed it to him and he goes, now are you a teacher at CBC? How he knew to ask that, I have no idea. But I just said, yes, that's what I said. Because uh, I am. And uh, he says, oh, that's good. And I told him what it was all about. And he looked at the paper, didn't hardly look at anything else. And he says, hey, you have a good day. I'll see you later. And I was so thankful that I was a teacher at CBC. <laughs> Because I honestly think that got me off the hook. I don't know. I didn't tell him I was the pastor. He'd probably give me a ticket if I'd have told him I was the pastor. So I just stayed low with that. I liked, I liked it, you know. So, um, so it's a sweet ride. And I'm, I'm riding around in that and enjoying it. And uh, my, my buddies are snapping pictures of me in a 91 Eldorado Cadillac. <clears throat> so there's stories that we can tell about those Cadillacs, you know. My, uh, my buddy Robert, Dr. Robert Flores, I called him while I was in it. And he goes, oh, man. He goes, you know what? Your other car, we could only get like two sets of golf clubs, barely get them in there. You're new, and we can put like two sets of golf clubs and two golf carts in the trunk. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know. And he goes, and you know who we thank for that? And I said, who do we thank? He goes, we thank the old wise guys in Las Vegas. I said, how do we do that? He goes, well, they were the guys that wrote GMC and said, hey, this is only a two-body trunk. We need a four-body trunk. We're headed out to the desert. Got to dump them out there, you know. So the trunks are big now. Trunks are big. So I've got a four-body trunk now. And I'm glad the police officer didn't look in it or anything. So there we go. <laughs> so if you see it now, I had people asking me, you know, some of the pastors just discreetly everyone everyone saw it but no one said anything they just kind of put their head down like it wasn't happening and um, so I had some of the pastors come and he said could you kind of explain to us you know what was going on out there I said sure I will 
And uh, so that's what happened. That's what happened. So, well, it's good to see everybody. You know what we're going to do today is we're going to continue our study in the Gospel of John. And uh, to do that, I'm just going to ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. And we're going to look at the Gospel of John chapter 17 together. Uh, The reason I want to do this is it really is a continuation of our study. And I've enjoyed the Gospel of John. I thoroughly have enjoyed... And I, I think you probably hear me say this every now and again, but I have enjoyed the study of this gospel probably more than any other study I've gone through in recent years. Uh, we've been in the gospel of John for about a year and a half. And uh, I don't know if you've picked this up. I, I hope you have. But the timeline is, is such that what we're wanting to do is go through that at the times that some of these events actually took place, at least during the time of year. For instance, we have, uh, we have gauged everything. We've timed everything. So when we get to Easter, uh, we are in the Gospel of John, chapter 20, and the resurrection. And then a few weeks after Easter, we'll be in the Gospel of John chapter 21, which is the restoration of Peter. So we want to make sure that we're getting you into the places that you need to be. And when we're done with the Gospel of John, I'll probably cry for a day. And then, uh, then, then we'll go right into the study of Ephesians. We're going to be studying the book of Ephesians after this. We'll go through it thoroughly. We'll go through the book of Ephesians together. I think we plan on about 20 to 25 weeks maybe in the book of Ephesians. So you just be preparing for that. I think it's going to be exciting. The reason I'm having you turn here to John 17 is because this is one of the most remarkable chapters in all of the Bible. Uh, In fact, this is the longest prayer in the Bible And even though it's the longest prayer, it only takes about three minutes to read. And the reason I'm saying that is because I have so many reasons I appreciate the Lord. And you probably do as well. But one of the reasons I appreciate the Lord is he gets to the point. Uh, Whenever you read what he's saying or read his prayers, what you recognize is that he has some business to take care of. And he wants to do it and he wants to do it in a very efficient way. And so he doesn't waste a lot of time, he doesn't waste a lot of words, but he says what he's going to say, and what he says always is about your heart. He always has a, he always has a way, he finds a way to get to your heart. So if he starts with something out here in the world that he's looking at and he's teaching people about, you know, agriculture, then he'll move it right to your heart. How could agriculture affect your heart? Well, he, he has a way of teaching and, and, and teaching in parables that does that. And then he'll start maybe with your heart, and then he'll tell you how your heart is to to function in the world, what a good heart looks like, what a godly heart looks like. So he does this, and he gets to the point, and I love that. We are at the very end of a discourse. This is called and known as the Upper Room Discourse, or better known, really, as the Last Supper. The Last Supper, or this discourse, takes place from John chapter 13 to John chapter 16, And so what does Jesus do appropriately? He ends the discourse with prayer. And that's John chapter 17. And so he just prays. And and, and this is a prayer that is an amazing prayer. Because it's like climbing a staircase when you're reading John chapters 13 through 16. And you get to chapter 17 and here's the crescendo. It's this particular prayer. This is a prayer that has transformed people's lives. Absolutely, it's changed people's lives. Matthew Henry, the great Bible scholar, said this. It is the most full and consoling discourse ever uttered on the earth. Martin Luther said, this is truly beyond measure 
a warm and hearty prayer, no one can fathom it. John Knox, the great John Knox said this, and he was asked by his wife while he was on his deathbed, his wife said, dear, what is it you want me to read out of the Bible? And his response was this, read where I first put my anchor down in John 17. It's an amazing thing because when you're end of life and things are passing, you're Kind of wonder what you'll read or what you want to listen to. Maybe all of us need to be thinking about that at, at a time and thinking about that every now and again is what, what is it we'll, we'll want to hear when things get tough, when times are dark, where do we go? Where do we gravitate? Well, these, these, these men that I'm telling you about have gravitated to the gospel, John chapter 17. And I would be remiss if I left out another story and that is the Bishop of Rochester, Dr. John Fisher. He had this read as the last portion of Scripture before Henry VIII had him beheaded. Amazing passage of Scripture. These people, these men turned to this chapter, this prayer during their time of crisis. There are three parts to what really can be called, I really believe this is the true Lord's Prayer. Uh, When we talk about the Lord's Prayer automatically, we go to the teaching of the Beatitudes. It's the place where the disciples asked Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he said, well, this is how you pray, our Father in heaven. And he went to teach them how to pray. That to me is more of the disciples' prayer. Now, I'm not out to change the label on it <laughs> because that would be futile. But I will say this, that is a disciples' prayer. He's teaching us how to pray. And the reason we know it's not the Lord's prayer in that sense is because he talks about sin and he was sinless. Here is the Lord's Prayer. It's a prayer from his heart. And he prays this amazing prayer. And in this amazing prayer, you can break it down into three parts. And if you look at your Bible, you may may even already have seen the headings. You know, there are times where we'll teach out of the gospel or another passage of scripture. And when we teach out of it, you kind of got to look at it to see where are we going to go and how are we going to tear it apart and what scripture are we going to look at. This is so easy, you don't have to do that. It's broken down in very, very simple ways. It's broken down into three parts. The first part is Jesus praying for himself, and that's verses 1 through 5. The second part is Jesus praying for the, the, the disciples that he had spent three over three years with in John chapter 17, verses, I think it's 6 through 19. And then Jesus prays for his church. And I want to phrase it in another way because it's important we do this. He's praying for the next generations of believers. Isn't that amazing and interesting that he would do that this close to his death? That actually he's thinking about you? That in this latter part of the prayer from verses 20 to 26, he is thinking about you? Hebrews puts it this way. It says, and for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What is the author of Hebrews thinking? What is he saying? He's saying this. Jesus, while going to the cross and on the cross, was thinking of his joy, and you are that joy. He was thinking of you. And even further, I like to believe, and I really believe this with all my heart, the miracle of Christ on the cross is he he thought of every name that would come to saving grace in him. He thought of you. He He was talking about you. 
And certainly this passage of scripture certainly tells us that. And that's what I want to do. I want to look at these just for a moment with you. And the first part is verses 1 through 5. And that that is where Jesus prays for himself. And he does this not in a way that's self-centered. But rather in in a way that's humble. In a way that's selfless. And I want you to hear what it says. It's important that we listen to this. It says, after Jesus said this. Now I want to stop right there. And what are they saying? What is John saying? He's talking about chapters 13 through 16. He's talking about the discourse. He's saying after Jesus had said this, what does he do? He looked toward heaven and he prayed. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those that you have given him. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you sent. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the beginning of the world. I love that. I want you to look at that last verse there, verse 5. Do you know what he's doing? Can, Can you feel this with me? He's getting ready to go home. You see, he was with God in eternity. What he did is he chose to come and take on the form of flesh. Philippians chapter 2 gives us a great description of that. In fact, the literal translation is is that he dwelt among us. He lived in a tent. The tent was his physical body. It was temporary. It wasn't where he was going to stay forever. And it talks about in Philippians chapter 2 where he came from. And he came from his father in heaven, the glory that he had in heaven. And he thought it not something to hold on to, but he descended to be with us. And then he dies for our sins. And then he ascends into the, 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 the belly of the, of the earth. And then he resurrects and then he ascends again to seat to be seated at the right hand of the Father in heaven. Do you see that, what's happening here? He's saying here, it's going to be a short time that I'm going to go... And I'm going to be with you, Father. I'm going to be where I once was before. I'm, I'm going to my true home and really is the true home of all those that believe in me. That's what he's saying here. I love that. And you have to feel that. You have to capture that in your own heart. But when I read this, I recognize how my, my, my picture, the image that I have of Jesus Christ needs to be continually adjusted. Let me tell you what I mean by that. I know the Jesus in the Gospels. I teach the Jesus in the Gospels. I love the Jesus in the Gospels. But there's another part of the life of Jesus that we have to reckon with that we don't often reckon with because we are connected to it. And the the most descriptive places about Jesus are found in the Gospels. But let me ask you this question. How well do you know the glorified Jesus? You see, the glorified Jesus is described to you and me in Revelation chapter 1. And it's described to us by the same one who wrote the gospel that we're now reading. He now becomes a revelator. He's on the island of Patmos. And what he does is he has this vision of the glorified Christ. 
And the glorified Christ, when he saw him, when he heard him, blew him away. He wanted to be, be dead, is what he, he said. How am I going to live in the presence of the glorified Christ? For the glorified Christ, his hair is as white as snow. His eyes are like blazing fire. And when he speaks, it sounds like the rushing of mighty waters. His feet are as bronze. This is the glorified Christ. I'm dead in his presence. See, the Christ that is alive, the one that we worship, is seated at the right hand of our Father in heaven. He is glorified. You see, the glorified Christ is the Christ in heaven that came after, after this prayer. And this is what I believe, and I'm asking God to help me with this. Maybe you can ask God to help you with this as well. I'm asking to see the glorified Christ. Because this is what I know. I know that a glimpse of the glorified Jesus will transform everything you do. Transform the way you worship. I'm not just talking about our song services. I'm talking about the way we live life. Our worship to God. Our life as, a, as an offering to Him. Seeing the glorified Christ will transform your obedience. Listen, when the glorified Christ speaks something to you, you're not going to, as my, my dad says, don't lollygag around. When the glorified Christ speaks to you and you know it's the glorified Christ, let me say this, you're not going to lollygag around. Because you'll understand the reverence and the honor and I think a healthy fear that you have for a glorified Christ. Imagine the people that have seen the glorified Christ. You talk about John, we've mentioned him. But you also have to mention somebody whose name was Saul that had a quota to meet. And that quota was how many Christians he could kill. And he heard that there were a lot of Christians to be had in Damascus. So he jumped on a donkey, headed to Damascus. And who appears, lo and behold, is the glorified Christ, knocks him off his donkey. And the guy is never the same. He is absolutely never the same again. He's the one who wrote to the church of Corinth and what he said to the church of Corinth in one place, he said, when I come to you, I determine not to know anything else except Jesus Christ because I've seen him. He's changed my life. He's changed the way I obey, the way I worship. And then thirdly, if you see the glorified Jesus, it will transform your confidence Knowing that you serve a glorified Christ, I think we'd be a little, <laughs> I know I would, I'll speak for myself, I think that uh, there would be a great boldness in my life. Sometimes it's sad to say, I don't, I don't have that boldness, I need to have that boldness. But I know what can change that, I know who can change that, and that is the glorified Christ. That I can confidently say that I serve a, a risen Savior, that I have had a glimpse at the glorified Jesus we serve a Jesus who came after this prayer in John 17. He is a glorified Christ. Oh. Go ahead, Charles. Yeah, he is. This is a young man who comes and he's been to a lot of different churches and uh, he likes to share. But you can talk to me a little bit later and we'll be glad to uh, share. Charlie, he can share with you outside. Can he do that? You and Brett? Thank you. Thank you, Nathan. Nathan's a, a buddy who comes around and goes to different churches, likes to preach, but he fit, does it at the wrong time. So I'll go out there and talk with him a little later. But, but we do have a glorified Christ. We need to know that. 
I look at verses 16 through 19, and what I recognize here is that Jesus prays for his disciples. And it's amazing to me that he spends this much time. Have you noticed in the first five verses he's praying for himself, but then how much time does he spend praying for his disciples? It's because he loves them. And let me read to you what he says here. It says, I've revealed to you those to whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me, and they have obeyed your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me comes from you. For I gave them the words that you gave me, and they accepted them. They knew with certainty that I came from you, and they believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those who you have given to me, for they are yours. All I have is yours, and all who are, you have is mine. The glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. While I was with you, I protected them and I kept them safe by that name that you gave me. None has been lost except the one doomed to destruction so that the scripture would be fulfilled. It says, I'm coming to you now. But I say these things while I am still in the world so that they may have the full measure of my joy with them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world anymore than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. For them I sanctify myself, that they too may be truly sanctified. What does Jesus mention here? The first thing he mentions here is the relationship that he has with them and his Father in heaven. I love that. The thing that's dear to him is relationship, as it should be dear to us. That that's the thing we should talk about. That's the thing that we should pray about. That's the thing that God holds reverent. He holds it up. He lifts it up. And Jesus talks about it here. Then he mentions their salvation, and I love this. He mentions their salvation in a way that glorifies the Father. What he says is the, the apex of, of purpose of salvation. The, the main reason that we're saved is to glorify God. Now, we have all the benefits of salvation, and you can mention them. Uh, you have eternal life, you have abundant life, you have healing, you have all these kinds of things. But this is what Jesus says here. He says, wow, in their salvation, they're glorifying you. God, they're glorifying you and they're glorifying me. And then he mentions their joy. I love that. He says, listen, they're happy people. They're joyful people. Even when they go through hard times, they're going to need to have this joy. And then he says, and he mentions their sanctification. He says, I, I'm cleansing them. Uh, I'm working out my salvation in them daily through the Holy Spirit, through the word of truth. That's what he's doing. And then you come to the latter part of this passage in this chapter. It's verses 20 through 26. Jesus prays for his church and really he's praying for the generations to come. And and I want to take just a moment here to do something. I was reading this the other day and 
I was just praying and asking the Lord, well, how do you practically apply this? I mean, what are the lessons that, that I should be learning from Jesus praying for the generations to come? And then it becomes pretty obvious, pray for this next generation. Pray for the ones that you're even seeing now that are developing as disciples, <clears throat> as followers of Jesus Christ. You see, we have a generation that's coming up. We have generations that we need to be praying for. And I want to be faithful to do that. And I want, I want you to be faithful in that as well. What I want to do is just let that, <clears throat> I think it's a good burden, let the burden or the weight of praying for the next generation set on your heart, set on your shoulders. It's important to Jesus. He prays about it. As well, it should be important to us. So what I've done <clears throat> is I've asked Pastor Ryan Brown, who is our next-gen pastor, to come and just share with you some ways that you can pray for the next generation. Come on. Well, what we are seeing today um, is something unlike any other time in history. And I know many people have said that, but I'm telling you it's actually true this time. What we are seeing right now is we are seeing one of the biggest, if not the biggest, turnovers in leadership and really in an entire generation that is coming into their calling as we speak. So that term, next generation, I'm going to shorten it for you a little bit and use the term next gen. Uh, that is something that's really been on my heart, on Pastor Ron's heart, is what does that look like? And what does that mean? You're going to hear that a lot in the coming uh, months and years. That term next gen describes something that we must pay attention to. And what that is, is the next gen or the next generation is everybody that are about 20s to 30, all the way down to those little kids right now. They are the next generation that is right now and will be over the next 15 to 20 years coming into their God-given calling in areas of leadership, families, church communities, uh, civic communities, leadership, not only over our churches and our families, but over our entire planet. It is happening right now. And it is the largest generation ever to come into that. All over the planet. I'm not talking just about the United States. You hear stuff about what's going on in the Middle East right now. That is a turning over of a generation. And it's happening. They are stepping into their God-given calling right now. When you hear the term next-gen leader, that does, doesn't mean just a, a cool young leader that loves to hang out with youth. Hello? Not very cool. Not very young. <laughs> it means anybody that cares about those young families all the way down to kids right now being born and cares about how they step into that calling. It's grandmas and grandpas and aunts and uncles. It's anybody that has a passion to ensure that the next generation gets to step in to becoming the church and the leaders of our world. Here at this church, we have all kinds of great things. We have all departments. We have nursery. We have, you know, um, children's departments, uh, kindergarten. We have preteen. We have youth. We have college. We have young adults, young families. And what we've come to understand is it's not really just about us doing our own thing with each age group. There's a commonality that all of us have that work with young people and young families in this church, and that is 
We all are focused on ensuring they get to the place that God has called them to do too. So we've even talked holistically to say, we're not just a children's department or a youth department. We're a next gen. We're next gen leaders who care. And I don't think that just goes for the youth pastors and children. I think that goes for our entire congregation. We are all next gen leaders in some way, shape, or form. But I want to speak to you specifically about this generation. And and the first thing that we need to understand is that whether or not we want them to take over the planet, they are. (laughs) And they've already been anointed by God to do so. We see this in 1 Samuel with King David. We see this young boy being anointed to be king over all of Israel. And then what does he do? He goes back and he tends sheep for many, many years. Do not assume that because your child plays Xbox seven hours a day that they won't be the president of the United States. Because God has already appointed and ordained this generation to step into their God-given calling. Nothing could stop King David once this was put on him and nothing will stop this generation from stepping into that. It's already been appointed by God. Now with that, that's a given. There are some incredible blessings and opportunities that we need to be praising God for. And there are some incredible challenges that we need to be on our knees praying to God for with this generation. First, I want to share with you three brief opportunities that are incredible that have never happened in the history of mankind. The first one is that this generation has the entire planet in the palm of their hands. What I mean by that is all accessibility, all the tools of knowledge, all the ability to reach billions of people in an instant sits in the form of a smartphone in every young person's hand. Every access, every idea, every thought, every tool, every bit of wisdom, it sits there. And if they don't have an an iPhone or a phone, they can go to the library. And instead of having to wait for a book to come in or check out a book, all they have to do is click a button, and all the tools are right there. Not since the 1400s has anything even come close with the invention of the printing press. That was something that the written word could then be mass produced and printed and shipped overseas and ideas and all kinds of things. Knowledge was available to everybody. Now they don't have to wait for a ship to come in or a book to arrive. Now they just have to click the on button. This generation has been termed, the up-and-coming ones, those that are just being born now, which will be the next generation after this next generation, as the AO generation, which stands for always on. Every child that is born right now will have instant access their entire life to everything. Never before has that happened. Incredible tool. The second thing is that they have a very different way of viewing the world than any other generation. What a great opportunity because it it actually brings fresh eyes into our world. 
You see, this generation doesn't just take things at face value. They are looking for authenticity. They are, they are allowing um, only things that they see tangible and real to affect their lives. And that is a blessing. They're not going to be fooled by anything somebody just tells them. Like never before, we have seen young people be able to analyze things in a more authentic way. And the third thing is, and an amazing opportunity, is they get to do it now. There are more young people involved in upper levels of leadership now than, than ever before. They say now that nine is the new 13, which means that maybe when you were 13 or 14 years old, uh, 10, 20 years ago, the things that you would be asked to speak into, now they're asking nine-year-olds, eight-year-olds. You guys see it. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not telling you anything new. If you have kids or around kids, you know that there's a brilliance, and they get to do it now. There's a young man who attends our church that just got elected as the, uh, the president of Baker Prairie Middle School. And he gets to introduce the ex-vice president of South Africa to his school. And he gets that at 13. That's an incredible, incredible opportunity. And we need to be praising God for those things. But I will tell you that with that, there are also some challenges that we need to be on our knees praying for. The first and probably greatest challenge of this up-and-coming generation is that they have the whole world at their fingertips. They have the entire planet in the palm of their hand, which means that, and dare I say, every twisted, perverted expression of faith, of accountability, of ideas sits in their hand. Any wrong, evil, even demonic idea sits at their fingertips. It's never happened like this before. Never. And our role is not to unplug it because I'm going to be really honest with you. We're not going to stop this technology. We're not going to fight it. It's too accessible. And it's not altogether a bad thing in and of itself. But what we do what our call is, is to first pray, but then to interject truth. We have to interject truth of the word of God, of wisdom, into this process. You see, the best way to determine, they say, a counterfeit bill is not to, not to play around with counterfeit bills, but to make sure you know authentic ones so well that nothing passes the muster if it's fake. And our role is to speak truth as these kids are understanding and experiencing all these mistruths. To speak reality, to speak wisdom. We have got to be involved with young people's lives now more than ever before. Things like Canby Bible College, the Immersion Discipleship Program, gear. These are just things here. All these things are to inject truth over and over and over and over and over again into their young lives. The second challenge is they have a very different view of the world. You see, they won't take anything for face value. What that means for us is it's no longer 
just enough to tell your kids, well, that's the way we do it. It doesn't mean anything to them anymore, many of them. So what, it, what do we do? We live it. It is time to stop telling it and time to start living it because there is such a hunger for these young people to see authenticity. They want to see people really living. They can pull all the ideas off the Internet, but what you can't see off the Internet is people living life. And that is how we step in, and that is how we become a filter as we not only just change their views, we live a right view, and they will, they will follow. The third thing is, and the biggest challenge is that they need to do it now. They or us don't have any more time to wait. This is not something that's going to come tomorrow. It's here. It is upon our doorstep. And what that means for all of us is we have to understand what our role is as older people focusing on the next generation. And I'm saying this before all of the young people that are in this room. There's such a great community here. So you need to hear this as I'm saying it to all the older people. Our role must be specific because it has to start now. What does that look like? There's an image that the Lord showed me a few years ago that um, was really for me, but I think I want to share it with you here because I think it's important to all of us. What does this look like for us? How do we lay down our life? What do we do here? It was an image where I was sitting uh, in uh, Houston, Texas at a Foursquare convention, and we had our ID students there. We were in the very back row and watching everything that was happening. There was a very popular youth speaker up there talking about young people and really just preaching it. It was amazing. And I sat there, and I had some students sitting next to me that I had been involved in their lives since they were in seventh grade, so many, 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 many years. And it was a time that they were about to graduate the ID program. And so, as, as we all often do, when, when significant things happen in our life, we pray, God, what's next? Is there something next? Do I just keep doing this? And I'm kind of in that mode there. And I'm looking across this crowd. There's thousands of people there. There are retired ministers. There's senior pastors. There's children's pastors. There's worship leaders. There's the guy on the stage. And I'm really asking the Lord, Lord, you need to show me. If there's anything for me to be here that you can show me, what is that? Where do you want me, Lord? Do you want me up on the platform like this guy? Do you want me like the retired minister down here? Where, what do you, where do you want me? And he said, Ryan, I want you to close your eyes, and I'm going to show you where I want you. So I closed my eyes, and the Lord showed me a picture of myself, and it was going up to the platform, very similar to this stage here, a few more steps maybe. And he showed me a picture of myself with my toes on the floor, my body stretched across the steps and the tips of my fingers touching the stage. And he showed me the imagery of a generation walking across my back. And he said, Ryan, that's where I've called you. I haven't called you to take the reins. I haven't called you to take the platform. I've called you to lay down your life so that a generation might walk across your back. Honestly, I think that's a call for all of us because they need a bridge. They need us. They need us to be on our knees 
praying for them as they step into their God-given calling. Pastor Ron. Good job. Thank you, Ryan. I, I don't know how many know this, um, that about 10 years ago, we felt that one of the best things we can do for the next gen is have all the leaders in every department meet and talk. Revolution, just revolutionized everything. Because our churches have been so used to being departmentalized. We have silos. So the preschool leader would never talk to the elementary leader. The elementary leader would never talk to the junior high leader. And nobody really knew what was going on. We wanted to break those barriers down so when your students go through the process here, it's holistic. That means that Ryan knows what's going on with the first graders, and the first grade teacher knows what's going on with the middle school and the high schoolers. The reason we do that is so we can raise the next generation. We have to be able to do that. And I want to give you just a few things before we close and take our communion together. I want to give you a few things on how you can be a good discipler. There's things that you can do. Ryan mentioned that we have this formal way that we disciple. We have Canby Bible College. We have um, our ID program. We have, uh, we have the small groups, the gear program, all these kinds of things. And they're wonderful. But your access to those may be fairly limited. So what do you do? Let me tell you what you do. You connect with the next generation anytime they come into your space. It's the best way I can say it to you. If you got next generation kids coming into your space, what are you doing with those moments that you have them in your space? You see, there's something that needs to happen. There's something that needs to change in the way we see this. We need to call out what has been instilled in them prophetically. We need to be able to look. I may have this young person come into my space for just a few seconds. I'm going to look in their eye, and I'm not going to waste that space. I'm going to look at them and say, God's called you. He has a purpose for you. You're a leader. Stand up. I remember when I was young, and my dad would take myself and my two brothers. We would go to men's retreats. He had us in tow, five, four, and three. Three boys in a span of two years and two months. It's against the law today, but they did it back then. <laughs> and we'd all go to these men's retreats, and my dad would be in this men's retreat, and you know what he would do? He would make sure that the likelihood of us crossing paths with a godly man was great. He knew that if we had a prophetic encounter with someone else who could speak into his boys' lives, there would be growth that would happen. They would stand up and know who they were. And that's exactly what he did. He would sit there and he'd go, oh, that's, that's that brother right over there. He is a godly man. I want you to meet him. You see that man over there? He fought in World War II. He was in the Bataan Death March, and he, he held true to his faith. And I want you to meet him. And that's exactly what my dad would do. We would cross paths with all of these different leaders. And, and, and when I was about 10, I remember a few of those leaders looking me in the eyes and they were saying to me, you're a leader. God's called you. You have purpose in life. They didn't waste those moments. You can call out what's in those young people when they come into that space that you have. Don't waste it. People ask me, well, when do you... When do you start looking for leaders? And I say, when I dedicate them as babies. Well, how do you do that? You know, God has put a word in every child's life. He's, he's called them. And you hear me. That's one reason you're hearing me pray over them now. 
And by the way, those that I prayed over, those babies, are now your pastors. This isn't a fluke. It's not a lark. It's a plan. The dream's coming true. These are people who are leading you because we chose to call out prophetically what is in their life. What has God called them to do? The purpose that God has for them. You know how much gets done when you're on the way somewhere? Do you know Jesus got a lot done when he was on the way? When he would leave Galilee to go to a, a, a festival in, in Jerusalem, he, he would do a lot of things on the way. Do you know how much happened? Blind Bartimaeus was healed on the way. The woman at the well was touched on the way. The cure of the bleeding woman happened on the way. A healing of a deaf man happened on the way. We get so consumed at getting to our destination, we forget about how to use the time on the way. And lives are wasted when we do that. How much can you do on the way? I think the, the reason I came to church last night, and I, and I want to sell short what we did in this room, but for me, was the highlight. I know why I came to church last night. Because when I was on the way here, to be with everyone in this room, I'm walking into the parking lot and I hear someone yelling, Hey, Pastor Ron! Hey, Pastor Ron! And I looked over and way down over here at the other side of the parking lot was my six-and-a-half-year-old buddy and he made sure I knew that he was six-and-a-half. <laughs> and he's yelling at me and he's saying, I want to get baptized! I said, well, come here and let's talk about what that means. And we stood out on the sidewalk on the way in and we talked about what it meant to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ on the way. He's going to get baptized. <laughs> Pay attention. There's a lot that happens. Guys, I know you've heard this because we talked about this very thing at the men's retreat, men's breakfast. I had this surreal moment at our men's retreat. I'm, I'm sharing what I'm sharing with you and I look down and here's Grant Diggles with his son Tommy and Tommy's 10 years old and I looked at him and I just stopped in the middle of everything. It probably seemed a little senile at the time but I looked at him and I said, Grant, when I met you, you were younger than Tommy is right now. You were nine. And we stood on your front lawn and we played catch and we talked about what God wanted to do in your life. Do you know how much can get done when you play catch? Do you know how much can get done when you bake cookies? Do you know how much can get done when you take advantage of that space, that time? It doesn't take much. It's pretty cheap. but it pays dividends into eternity. I want to change a generation. I want them to know that they are valued and they're deeply valued and I hope you feel the same thing here this morning. You can be a disciple maker. You can do that. I'm so thankful that my father had that insight. It made the biggest difference in my life and then Annette and I have tried to reproduce that with our own children do you know we would try to get them in places where that prophetic encounter was great and one time we were at a convention kind of like what 
what, what Ryan expressed. It may have been the same convention. I don't know. But we brought our whole family and we were going to be in a room of pastors and I thought, this is a great place for them to be. And before we walked in, my oldest son Ronnie said to me, he said, Dad, do you think that Pastor Jack Hayford's going to be in here? And I said, I don't know. If he's here, let's look. Let's find him. So we walked in and I went to get some water, bottles of water, and he walked up at the same time I walked up. And he said, hey, Ron. And I said, hey, Pastor Jack. I said, listen, would you do me a favor? I said, my, my oldest son really wants to meet you. <laughs> and he was so funny. Uh, he is a little eccentric, but he was funny. <laughs> and, he, and he just looked at me and he goes, he does? He wants to meet me? And I said, yeah. He goes, where is he? Where is he? I want to meet him. Where is he? And he's going like this. And I said, well, he's right over there. He goes, I'll see you in a little bit. And he goes, he <laughs> took off. Probably spent 15 or 20 minutes talking with my kids. And I'm watching that go on. And I go, this is what it means to let their lives cross paths with other godly people so that prophetic is called out in their life. That word is called out in their life. God is speaking today. Let's speak his words. Be bold. Be bold. And we'll touch and change a generation. Would you pray with me? And while we do that, I'm going to invite our worship team to come forward. Also our prayer teams. If you make yourself available around the sanctuary during, before, during, and after uh, communion, you can receive prayer as well Father thank you for what you've showed us today out of this passage of scripture that we take seriously we want to apply it and especially what we've talked about that third part of this prayer where you pray for that next generation and generations to come we want to be people who take that seriously Lord we thank you for the generation that you're raising up in this place that you're calling them out to lead even at, even at young years and the, the early years of their life. They're discovering the call of God. They're not waiting till they're 18 or 21 or some magical number. They're recognizing it today. Lord, what I see with my eyes is I see those young Samuels who were raised in the house of the Lord and started hearing the voice of the Lord when they were very young. Started following the voice of the Lord. Let this generation follow the voice of Jesus Christ. Let us be those that help make a way. For you are faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. And we say together, amen. You can contact the church office Tuesday through Thursday from 9 to 5 and Fridays from 9 to 3 at 503-266-4444. Please visit us on the web anytime at canbefoursquare.com. Pastor Ron and others on New Life staff, along with occasional guest speakers, trust that the Holy Spirit will use the message to teach you, encourage you, and give you hope. 